We're getting bruised as Rocky faces Drago and Tick Tick Boom the Ghostbusters are taking us to the afterlife. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect. And this is Offscreen, your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Welcome to Offscreen, Let's Keep Things Cinematic, and welcome to a very special Offscreen, and I'm going to tell you why. It's because it's our 300th episode. How amazing is that, man? Kudos to you. You know what's more amazing than that is that it's now been 300 weeks since the release of Jurassic <laughs> World. That's that's what that means. Wow. I think the very first Oscar was the week that Jurassic World came. It was Case Allen and myself. Um, so 300 weeks since, since Jurassic World. We've still not got that. How does it feel to have... How does it feel to have done 300 episodes of Offscreen? You know what? Some of them you forget entirely, as you well know now, because you've done at (laughs) least 100 to 150 by now, surely. Yeah, quite possibly, but you've done you've done the longest stretch. So yeah, I just want to say, look, congratulations to you, an amazing podcast, and I'm so pleased to be a part of it. So thank you for having me. Well, thank thank you for stepping on as as uh, as, the, as the new co presenter for the last was it been two years? Two years, it's been fun. Two years. But we've yeah. seen some. We've seen some fun. And do you know what? The best part is we've seen so many movies get repeated time and time again over yes. those, uh, those times together. So many plots get recycled. And uh, our first movie this week is literally going to recycle a plot that we're then going to follow up with a review of the sequel to one of the originators of that plot. So this is going to be a weird block. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about Bruised then, which is the new Netflix release that I think is out from today. And this is Halle Berry does MMA Rocky effectively. So this is the underdog sports drama in MMA starring, not only starring, but directed by Halle Berry. Halle Berry's making her directorial debut with this. Halle Berry got out of bed one morning and decided, you know what? I'm going to become an MMA fighter and I'm going to direct myself doing it. And nobody thought that was odd. In fact, everyone thought that was such a good idea they would just fling money at And you know what you get is a pretty good movie that kind of plays like The Wrestler in which she is Jackie Justice, a washed-up former MMA uh, uh, UFC star, sorry, who um, has you know has a spectacular fall from grace. It's played out that she sort of got humiliated in a defeat. It's kind of not unlike sort of an extreme version of what happened to Ronda Rousey, for instance, with her fan base. Mm. And uh, from this, she finds herself hitting rock bottom. She's fired from her job cleaning houses, and she finds herself face-to-face with the son she gave up uh, uh, to his to his father uh, several years earlier, around the time of her fall from grace. I say, all directed by and starring Halle Berry, and oh my God, it's brutal. I don't want to fight. I'm happy. You happy scrubbing toilets? That fulfills your purpose. We're strangers right now, but I'm all you got. What's this? Sensation fights. No refs. No moves. Come on. Look who it is. All the way from UFC, Jackie Justice! You want to fight or run? I know you'd like to run. That's all I wish you did. I'm offering you a second chance. You gonna take it? Yeah, I'm gonna take it. Do you know what? I was Whilst you were explaining this movie, I was doing a little bit of, of searching on the interweb and I was looking for how mm. old Halle Berry is. She's 55. Oof. 
believe me, she could plausibly take down like you know, at peak prime, like college age athletes in this. It's fascinating. but then again, we kind of got a we got a taste of this with her with uh, John Wick three. Was that like two years ago now? Mm. When it, it was kind of a shock move, she pulled a Liam Neeson effectively where it was suddenly, oh wow, okay, you actually can do the 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 harder knuckled, the seemingly harder knuckled stuff rather than the usual more flouncy of choreography. And this is down and dirty. This is hard and she really goes for it even in the dramatic stakes now i have nothing particularly against uh, halle berry as, a, as an actor performer to be honest with you, i think the perception we have of her career generally comes from just catwoman and the bond movie like that seems yeah. to have weirdly sullied what is otherwise a usually pretty decent dramatic thriller you know type centric career and i kind of miss halle berry doing that to be honest mm. her doing this isn't actually as subversive to me as as it should be. It feels like okay, John Wick three gave us the sort of inkling that something like this was going to be coming down the pipe. Here it is. This is actually really well done, and it works on the dramatic heft as well as the impressive how impressive the stature of her physical abilities are in this. It really works. Great supporting cast in there. Um, Aiden Canto, who's an absolute scumbag as a sort of boyfriend manager. There's always the boyfriend manager, which is played in a mm. very specific way. Uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson. The second you get that guy in a movie, you've got my attention. Recently uh, seen in Dune, um, I believe, and uh, Sheila Atim, British actress Sheila Atim who, incredible, just really walks in there with a sort of Ruby Rose-style attitude as um, as Halle Berry's trainer, who's like, you know, bring her back for this, this big shot at both the title and redemption. Really well done. I really loved this. It, it, it swung, it swung, and it, it didn't, not every hit lands. It's got a bit of Netflix bloat in it, which is to say it's at least 25 minutes too long. There's about 25 minutes mm. extra padding in there, you know, the Netflix bloat. But this is really good. Like this is something this is comparable to something like Warrior. If you if you remember Warrior with yeah, the top yeah, Hardy yeah. and the Something like that. That's good. Okay. So a solid and a solid directorial debut as well from Halle Berry. I'm Very excited much, yeah. for that. So cool. Okay. Let's move swiftly on to, well, you gave a little bit of an insight into this um, just at the beginning of the show and we're sort of taking, we're coming back round to it. Now we're going to talk about a director's cut of a very famous movie, a very famous franchise, which in fact, I think this particular movie is arguably the most popular of it. And regarded as the best as well and we're talking about the rocky franchise aren't we van we are indeed so of course uh it, last year was the uh was the 35th anniversary of, uh, of rocky 4 and to celebrate the anniversary of rocky 4 sylvester stallone announced that there would be a new cut of rocky 4 the ultimate director's cut released into cinemas and onto digital um now that got delayed um, and, and apparently got got done on an iPhone. That's something that's that's come out now. And the reason ridiculous things like that are being said is because suddenly, out of the blue, about a week ago, it came out that they weren't going to be giving press links for this. If you wanted to see it, you had to go to the cinema on the day of release like everybody else. Um, but here's some YouTube videos. Genuine thing. Now, I'm a good sport, pun intended, so I, I went along with this and said, you know what, fine, I'm, I'm going to watch these YouTube videos, and they're, they're brilliant. And Stallone does at one point tell you, look, most of this got edited on the guy's iPhone. And when you see the movie, which is a recut version of Rocky Four, 
what you basically get the sense of is, okay, we took all of the work print footage, all of the rehearsal stuff, things like that, that you normally toss aside, and we just shoved it back in. <laughs> and what you've got is is footage that hasn't been graded to the same level. It looks very inconsistent throughout. Have you ever saw that? Oh, right. uh, um the, the, the Donner cut of Superman 2. Don't mm. expect anything that high grade. This is really choppy. This is like someone spliced completely different movies together. Um, but they're all weirdly telling the same a version of the same plot. It's still got the same music video aesthetic that the original cut of Rocky IV had. There is mm. no appearance of, uh, of the robot in there either. The Stallone had famously angered fans by saying the robots got to go from this version, uh, and he oh. fulfilled that promise. And what he has basically done seemingly is, is really extended only two scenes, which are um, the funeral of Apollo Creed, which is now a much bigger set piece of the movie. In, in the original cut, it's literally, we cut to it, Rocky makes his speech, we cut away. Here it is more of a full-fledged thing. Like, I don't think mm -hmm. we've got much with Apollo's Widow, for instance, with Marianne in, in the original cut, and now we do. And there is also now more of an emphasis on Rocky having to actually work within the system to get a fight with Drago, Dolph Lundgren's fighter who takes him on. But I've got a clip for you. This is, this is an extended, this is a new scene that's been sort of put in and expanded on. And this is Rocky facing the boxing commission. This sounds very familiar now because we've seen this in at least two other Rocky movies since. We've gone over these facts many times, Mr. Balboa. The answer is still the same. Can't you change the rules? <laughs> Under present Federation rules, any fight between you and this Russian cannot nor will it be allowed. Let's be realistic. The Russian, he has not yet had one legitimate professional fight. The bout he had with Creed was a publicity stunt that backfired. What you guys are really saying is you don't think I have a chance, do you? I don't know if Rocky does have a chance with this particular cut then. Um, <laughs> this is, um, look, for me, I think it's an interesting one. I think diehard fans will just be intrigued to watch this. I don't know how much it will appeal to everyone else mm. to go run, particularly with the problems that you're saying it's got, the choppiness of it. And, you know, I don't want, what you don't want is for people to suddenly be disappointed by this. So interesting analysis of it. I think, again, it's one for the fans. And yeah, it'll be interesting going to see it back in the cinema if you can. Welcome back to Off Screen, and keeping it cinematic, but like Bruised, we're going to keep it cinematic on streaming again. Is there, I think it might be a limited theatrical release for this next one. I think there, it might be for Bruised as well. Uh, Bex, though, you've seen Tick, Tick, Boom, which I've got to say, from the title, I, I, was, I was expecting an action movie, and was then told, <laughs> oh, oh no, 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 this is, this is Lin-Manuel Miranda's done a musical with Andrew Garfield. And my yes. response was that could not be further from what was I, I was expecting from that title. Take it away, <laughs> please. Ah, oh, well, don't worry. I don't think you'll be disappointed by this because Tick, Tick, Boom, for anyone who loves musical theatre, um, which actually might not be you, man, I don't know. But um, anyone that loves musical theatre will know of the musical Rent. And this was written by a guy called Jonathan Larson, who... Um, this film is basically based around. Now, it's not your typical Lin-Manuel Miranda film. Um, it doesn't feel like everyone bursts into rap, but people do burst into song. <laughs> so it has, there is a little bit of a difference here. But what it is, is it's following the life of Jonathan Larson, played by Andrew Garfield. It opens up with kind of this like 
90s um, standard definition style video, but with Andrew Garfield in it. And it's basically saying this is a true story up to the point in which actually Jonathan Larson wanted to make it more than just a true story. So there's artistic license within it. But essentially, it follows his road as he's just turning 30, feeling like he's going to be a failure if he hits 30 and hasn't done something amazing. He's a theatre composer and musical theatre director. And essentially, it's en route for him to create his greatest musical to date. Stop the clock. Take time out. Time to regroup before you lose the So Andrew Garfield, we're expected to believe, is 30? No, complete <laughs> fiction. I will never buy it. <laughs> Only in a musical. 29, um, so, actually. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, 20, yeah, sorry. sorry. So um, obviously we recently... It feels like only five minutes ago that we had In the Heights. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I quite enjoyed In the Heights. How am I going to fare with it? At the same time, though, you, you know where I sit on the musical spectrum. Enjoyed in the Heights, could not stand Cats. I really like The Greatest Showman. How am I going to fare yeah. with it? Yeah, do you know what? I'd say it's somewhere between In the Heights and The Greatest Showman. There is an element of it that drags. It's one hour, 55 minutes, which feels like it could be punchier. But actually, like it packs a punch from the moment it gets going, which I really enjoyed. And Andrew Garfield is really great in this. Like... I'm sure it is him singing, but I can't confirm that for sure. But I, I, I feel like he's thrown himself hook, hook, line and sinker into this role. And alongside him, the cast, who I assume majority apart from Vanessa Hudgens are actually relatively unknown from a movie standpoint, but most probably musical theatre stars anyway. They all come mm. in and it just goes to show how someone like him or Jonathan Larson uses everything around him, the bohemian life that he's living in New York, age 29, working in a diner, forever the optimist, knowing he's going to create something great and how all of this has come together to create this thing that we now know Jonathan Lark, the late great Jonathan Larson for. So, uh, one final one then. This is this is actually, this is the directorial debut of Lin-Manuel Miranda as well. He's his mm. feature directorial debut. Um, is this a, is it particularly well directed? Do you think, is there a certain yeah. to How does he fare as a director, do you think? Do you know what I'd say? It's like, this is, this is Lin-Manuel Miranda, but you wouldn't know it was Lin-Manuel Miranda. So he's trying to prove to himself that he's not a one-trick pony. Okay, yes, it's musical. Yes, it's got all that, but it's not in the same In the Heights, uh, you know, and uh, Hamilton style. It's di- it's more traditional and more more kind of straight down the line, I think. And that works in a really good way for him because you as an audience can get really involved in this. I wish I knew the songs. I don't know if they are songs from Rent or any of his other work or if they've been specifically created for this movie, but they are toe-tapping. They're good and they're played out and it's visual and it's great and it's there's there's a lot of heart and soul in it. And I would say look out for a tiny little Lin-Manuel Miranda cameo um, in it. You blink and you'll miss him, but he's of there. Of course. Oh, there's always a Lin-Manuel. He always turns... He's like Tarantino, that man. But it's nice to, it's nice to hear he's branching. I, I, I like Lin-Manuel Miranda very much. Uh, tell you something else I also like. Um, the Ghostbusters. Big fan of Ghostbusters. <gasps> you must have been a fan growing up as well. Probably. Oh, 
goodness, yes. And I am actually looking at the trailer for Ghostbusters Afterlife. I mean, I haven't seen this yet, but I am really hoping that it goes down to play that that kind of route of anyone that grew up in the 80s with the original Ghostbusters movies, we're, play, we're paying homage to that. That's what I'm hoping for. Don't disappoint me. Right, uh, we, we, right. It's, this is going to be a real, real complex one because I'm going to have to give three very short reviews of the same movie back to back. Okay, so let's just do the plot and get that out of the <laughs> okay. way first. So... This uh, the the movie centers around a family, a destitute family, single mom, two kids, uh, McKenna Grace and uh, Finn Wolfhard from uh, Stranger Things. Uh, McKenna Grace, one from from uh, I think she's in Captain Marvel and Gifted. Anyway, um, they are Egon's left behind estranged family. The mum is Egon's daughter, who he never got to know, who he sort of gave up on. Um, he has obviously passed in recent years. Mm. As indeed has Harold Harold Ramis, obviously. And and the family, faced with you know the inability to make the rent, pop over to their recently inherited farmhouse to flog it and basically take the cash, only to basically find themselves sucked into the mystery of this small town and its mysterious earthquakes, a mysterious local mine, and of course, the mysterious final case of one Egon Spengler. But before you can get to any of that, you've got to have some comedic flirting, because these kids are going to be taught by Paul Rudd. Hi. Hello again. You brought them home. It's a service I provide. All right. Well, I'm, I'm also an escort. That mm, came out okay. wrong. Yeah. Look, the truth is, is I've always kind of wondered what lurked inside this haunt box. Right, well, the only thing lurking inside here is my slowly dying soul. Is that what that smell is? Well, it's not dinner, so. <laughs> Um, would you... Sure. Like? Yeah. I don't have any food. It's okay. fine. Tour. Great. Great. I would flirt with a never-aging Paul Rudd any day of the week, and I'd probably do it a little bit better than that, but... <laughs> That's Carrie yeah. Coon from Gone Girl, by the way. Um, ah! As, the, as Ben Affleck's sister from Gone Girl, if you remember. Oh, okay. And, um, please tell me you enjoyed this movie. Right, I did enjoy this. Now I have caveats with that. Now I did. I sat down and just enjoyed this. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, we we had the big screening with the Ecto One outside and all the cosplayers and the Ghostbusters <laughs> suits, and we got to have the you know the big pictures taken and things. And right, first of all, yes, it has all the fan service. Now let's without. I don't want to do any spoilers on this um, for obvious reasons. There's a very passionate fan base behind this one. Um, first of all, this is a movie that not only has to remove from existence the 2016 version, and that's a whole other conversation. I don't want to get into, but you know it, that can't have happened. Uh, it also erases Ghostbusters Two because Ghostbusters Two simply cannot function if this plot is this is an alternative what? part two. Yes. No. Wait. Wait. So, wait. Wait. No. No. They never, no. They no. Never Vigo. Lady Liberty across the bay. There was no pink slime. No Vigo. No <gasps> Peter McNichol with the accent. None of that. No Oscar the baby. None of these characters are turning out to be Oscar the baby or anything like that. Like because okay. he doesn't exist. This is like 2018's Halloween. This is just a different part two, and. It works. It does work as that. Okay. If you, you know, I, th- I think if you are someone our age who wasn't a fan of Ghostbusters 2, which apparently does seem to be a decent chunk of the fan base. Really? Instead. Uh, Bill Murray's very anti 
Ghostbusters 2, for one thing. There's a lot of people really do rag on Ghostbusters 2 for simply not being it. up to the heights. The first one. I, I like it as well. I rewatched it recently. It held up. Watched it after this, in fact. Um, mm. Right. Now... It has the same problem that the last attempt to make a franchise out of Ghostbusters did five years ago, only it has the inverse of the problem, which is the last movie decided it wanted to do a comedy, forgot to do some horror. This movie does the horror, and a lot of the time forgets to do the comedy. The thing is, Ghostbusters is a horror comedy. That's mm. why Ghostbusters is Ghostbusters. First of all, it was ridiculous that Ghostbusters should ever be a franchise in the first place. This, however, is probably the best attempt anyone's made to attempt to attempt to steer it into properly becoming a franchise. It isn't one immediately within the framework of this film, but there is setup here that could be. I would expect further Ghostbusters stuff down there. I think it's a very fun movie. I think there's a bit too much, a lot of fan service in there. And that fan service, unfortunately, does extend to the, the plot, which for my money, again, comes back to a problem that Ghostbusters writers seem to have in coming up with new material. They seem to want to keep going back to the original well, and it doesn't quite push the boat out far enough. I mean, why can't we just once have a Ghostbusters movie where they're going to, like, Salem and take on the witches or something like that? Yeah. It's always this same plot with the, the same things. It's it's like, why is the Flash always fighting a speedster? You know, it, it's just, come on, can we have something new? In the yeah, just okay. Something other than just variations on the same thing over and over again. Eh, but it's still fun. And I, I, I tell you, yeah. I had a four-star four star good time out of it, I would say. Uh, the right. fans will be happy. Newcomers will be happy. Paul Rudd's charming as all hell. And, yeah, the kids are quite likable as well. There's some there's some fun for the Stranger Things crowd in there. I'd say they've done a really smart thing in skewing for that demographic. So the Stranger Things crowd will be happy, and I think so will the parents if they've been forced to drag them along. And now it's time for a segment we like to call Off Screen Pays the Bills. Hey, Bex. Hey, Van. What's going on? <laughs> hey, nothing going on but the rent. You know how it is. Oh, that I do. That I do. And you know what? The weekend's coming up. I'm thinking about maybe staying in, chilling out, staying cosy. What have you got for me? Is there something I can be doing? Well, do you know what? Funnily enough, our sponsors this week have got you covered. They've got well, actually a very fun way to spend. I'm actually holding up the game in front of you. I'm, I'm, we are talking, of course, about Marvel's Diamond. Dice Throne. So, Marvel's Dice Throne is... Uh, in fact, you might have heard of Dice Throne. So, there's Dice Throne's been around. It's, you know, it's a, it's a fun sort of dice-based board game. You, you select a bunch of heroes. In this case, this is a new Marvel edition. So, you pick from... You traditionally pick from any of, like, eight characters. In this case, you can pick from any of eight Marvel characters to face off with other players on this game. You play against one another, and you basically see who gets the right to uh, to take the throne. So, normally, it's an cool. old-school throne. Now, it is a special Marvel throne. And the way this works is you, you strategically roll your dice to earn different abilities and to earn different hero cards. And if you get different hero cards, you can get different power levels and upgrade your your, your character and your hero. And believe it or not, I hadn't encountered the game prior to now. And uh, I have been I have been introduced to the wonderful world of, of Dice Throne. And uh, I'm forever terrified that I'm, I'm now going to lose a significant chunk of my uh, of, of my years of my prime to this game. So I'd like to thank our sponsors for that. And you can thank them yourself in the meanwhile by actually pre-ordering the Marvel Dice Throne game on Kickstarter. And you can find that by going to kickstarter.com. The full link is in the, is in the description for this episode. And that's Marvel Dice Throne, to which I will now be losing way more of my life. Thanks, guys. 
Welcome back to Off Screen. We are keeping you cinematic, but actually doing it on your couch. So you can come and enjoy all of the top movies to watch on your telly box with us as we take you through our seven-day guide of all of this. And you know what? Spit spot and off we go. Let's start off with a very fun Saturday afternoon uh, movie for you, which um, <laughs> I have to admit, I got a little bit confused around this because I thought Emily Blunt had done more than one Mary Poppins movie. So actually what we're talking about is the Julie Andrews original Mary Poppins today. Of course, yes. <laughs> yes, because as Van pointed out to me, no, the Emily Blunt one is called Mary Poppins Returns. Okay. I get that. Um, this is on BBC One at 4.20pm and it is perfect for your Saturday afternoon, I think. I love this what? movie. Mary Poppins is kind of the original Saturday afternoon movie, yeah. isn't it? I mean, original Sunday afternoon movie. It's kind of a movie that, like, in the 1980s, you all sit and watch with your grandparents on a weekend afternoon. But, uh, yeah, Mary that Poppins, is, uh, it's... Well, I was going to say that, actually, the other, for me, the other original Saturday afternoon movie is Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Exactly. They, they, they always get sort of lumped in together, don't they? I think, is it the Dick yeah. Van Dyke thing? They always sort of wind up around getting lumped in together. I always remember the uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks trailer being on the, my sister's VHS of Little Mermaid. Yeah. I saw that trailer more often than I saw the movie. It haunts me. But Mary Poppins, anyway, the classic. With, is it Julie Walters or Julie Andrews? I can't remember. Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews, uh, Mary Poppins, and of course, we've got to have a clip. So where, what do you pick? And uh, well, YouTube only offers us so much. So we, uh, we went with the qualifications. Now then, the qualifications. Item one, a cheery disposition. I am never cross. Item two, rosy cheeks. Obviously. Item three, play games all sorts. Well, I'm sure the children will find my games extremely diverting. May I, this paper, where did you get it from? I thought I'd tore it up. Excuse me. Item four, you must be kind. I am kind, but extremely firm. Well, that is Mary Poppins on BBC One at 4.20pm. Let's move straight on to um, something, a, a way that I think more modern audiences adopt more lingo from this film than they do from Mary Poppins. And this is... Yeah, this is Anchorman 2. Um, it's on E4 at 9pm. Look, I, let's let's put it out there. Anchorman, brilliant. Anchorman 2 doesn't quite live up to it, but still a fun film, no? It's, no, it's still got its moments, hasn't it? It was It's one of those things, isn't it? it? It was nice to see them all back together and to see hmm. exactly how much this has expanded. There's a, there's an interesting point when you contrast the, uh, the big fight sequences from both Anchorman and Anchorman 2 and you see the scale of their fame is very well contrasted yeah. with who turns up for each of those so it's very interesting yeah. that when you get to that first movie like the biggest name on that list is like Ben Stiller and Tim Robbins then you get to the sequel it's like Will Smith and Kanye turn up and you're like <laughs> what, what is happening right now Will? Really? Okay um, but you know it still has its, its moments as you say um, it's just always nice to, have to see those characters back together, especially Brick good old Brick Tamlin he'll always be my favourite uh, but another one of my favourites Monday night uh film for 11 15 p.m uh, one of the quintessential actioners of the of the early 90s uh the movie that pretty much burst the action bubble and i think provided the first epic fail 
of uh, of Schwarzenegger's blockbuster career. It is 1993's Last Action Hero, in which he plays the character, the star of the movie. Within the movie, he plays fictional super cop Jack Slater, who is uh, who, whose biggest fan is sucked into the cinema screen and embarks on uh, a quest to take down a ruthless drug lord kingpin, played by Charles Dance. The bad guys are in there. You know something? I think you should be wearing this. I don't think I've earned it yet. You don't understand. You just solved the entire case. You just revolutionized the entire history of police training. I mean, all these years at the academy, studying human character, psyche of the terrorist, fingerprint analysis, all the courses that I've taken in surveillance, hostage negotiation, in criminal psychology. I mean, all I had to do is just drive around the neighborhood and point my finger at the house and say, the bad guys ain't there. You think you're funny, don't you? I know I am. I'm the famous comedian, Arnold Braunschweiger. Schwarzenegger. Gesundheit. <laughs> Sometimes you kind of look at that or listen to it and in depth and listen to it and go, they really put Arnold Schwarzenegger on screen and allowed him to act. I mean, mm. it's crazy, yeah. isn't it? Um, it is there we go. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there we go. That's the last action hero. Film for 11.15 p.m. And also, if you missed the timings for uh, Sunday for Anchorman 2, that's on E4 at 9 o'clock as well. So let's move straight on to Tuesday. Uh, ITV4, 9 p.m. Tremors. I, for a moment there, was like, isn't that the one that Leonardo DiCaprio was in for like the first thing? And it's not. That's Critters. And that was Critters, like when he was like yeah. a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got that. So I don't know if I've seen Tremors or I think I might have done, but I might have been really, really young. No, no, Rebecca, you've 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 obviously not seen Tremors. If you'd seen Tremors, you'd know you've you've seen Tremors. Well, it's, remind it's, it's me. It's a stone cold classic. It's the one with Kevin Bacon and the worms. You know? Well, that's the, where I get confused the, with critters because the, the critters are like. Gra- yeah. I think they're graboids, I think they're called. They're giant worms that go under the desert sand in like New Mexico and. No, okay, well, it, you uh, put this right. ITV4, nine o'clock on Tuesday night. You are going to love this. Honestly, it, it's mm. going to appeal to all of your love of the 80s and 90s. This is, this is going to basically cement Kevin Bacon for you. I Honestly, so much of Kevin Bacon's cool originates from, from Tremors. And also, there is a whole schlock sci-fi franchise just waiting for you on the back of it. But the first sequel's you know good, what? the rest is not. Do you know what I'd say on that as well? I think yeah. I have this really vivid memory of me in, mm. in the supermarket as a young kid and yeah. like picking up between, you know, like when this is how far back we're going is when you had VHS aisles and you had Betamax aisles of videos. Yes, I dimly recall those, yeah. Yeah, and obviously we never had Betamax because we were obviously VHS. And I remember that one of them, was it Critters or was it Tremors? Like one of them was mm. in one of the aisles, one of them was in the other. And I think I must have gone with Critters. And I was obviously way too young at the time anyway. So that's when I go and say to my dad, like, please, can you take this out for me? And that's what kind of happened. So <laughs> the bilge, the sure bilge I got my parents to take out for me, including, I believe, once um, our next film, which is on uh, Wednesday night, ITV4, 9 p.m. Again, um, another 80s action classic. It's Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which nice. is the third Mad Max movie. And it's, it's, it's best remembered as the one that starred Tina Turner. As well, I love she it. did the uh, she did the song. I believe it's "We Don't Need Another Hero." I think she yes. did for uh, this is amazing. For Wait, this is kind of the 
quintessential templated Mad Max movie. It was kind of the same again. This time there was more of a sort of arena-based fighting uh, element introduced. And uh, this gets parodied a lot in things like Rick and Morty and stuff like that. <laughs> um, still holds up, though. Um, yes. Another Stone Cold classic, though. Uh, Thursday night, just to hurry this uh, along to uh, to the end of the week on time. Um, Thursday night, uh, BBC Four, 10pm, a Stone Cold classic that I'm sure every film student has been subjected to as many times as I was. It is, um, it is the classic All the President's Men with, uh, with Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman, and, well, it's, it, well, it's the original political intrigue journalist whistleblower story, isn't it? Like, mm. this, is what we've, this, is, this is what Spotlight kind of came close to recapturing the magic of, but not quite there. You look at films like The Post, things like that, this is the movie they all want to be, and you can catch that Thursday night, BBC Four, 10 p.m. It's still as groundbreaking, it's still weirdly as as, as suspenseful and topically relevant, even uh, as it was in its time. Mm. Um, as indeed, and this is our final one of the week. Uh, we're getting this. We're getting a remake of this in the near future, and we're getting a gender yeah. flipped With, um, antagonist yeah, as well. A female Hellraiser is what we're getting, we isn't are. it? So Hellraiser is on the Horror Channel, 10:50 p.m. Pinhead, the opening up to this horror world, this Cenobites. Oh, just, I think they're called the Cenobites. Yeah, Cenobites, they? they are, and it's just like it's kind of like you know you open that door to not Narnia. Oh no, you open the wrong door there. You've opened <laughs> literally the door to hell. It's gross, and actually, uh, like I this love is it. literally the stuff of. I know I love it as well because this is literally the stuff of nightmares. Pinhead kind of, you know, ever since we were 80s kids, it's Pinhead is your ultimate nightmare. And, you know, the whole kind of practical effects element of this is is fantastic, fantastically gruesome and gross. But it's the this is the original, isn't it, on Horror Channel at 10.50pm. This is, this is the first and the best and the one that everyone should watch. Do you know what, though? We couldn't send you away without giving you just a little sniff first. I am the way. <laughs> Welcome back to Offscreen. We are seeing you through with your week on streaming. Uh, this week, we've got no DVDs or Blu-rays for you, but we have got an action-packed pack of streamers for you. So we're going to kick off with... Well... <sighs> We're going to kick off with Little Women, which is on Netflix on the on Friday the 26th. And this is the new Greta Gerwig version of Little Women. And I quite liked it. This earned um, Florence Pugh a, an Oscar nomination for her role it of is, Amy yeah. um, in this. And I, you know, I've talked about this when this first came out with Van, about how much I love the Winona Ryder, Susan Sarandon, Christian Bale version. And nothing really beats that for me. But I have actually been watching little clips of Little Women on YouTube lately. Weirdly, I have had this weird thing to kind of look at Timothy Chalamet on YouTube and see what other stuff he's done. I think I was really impressed with him from June. <laughs> and so I wanted to kind of go back through, see the other movies he's been in. And, and actually... I think he, he does a really good job in this, as as do all of the cast. I mean, I'm still undecided about Emma Watson in anything that she does. Um, but, uh, but overall, it, though. 
Sasha Rose oh, my goodness. knocking this one out of the park, as always. Yeah, and there's a lovely sequence in this where, you know, she she meets Teddy for the first time and they're at this this party and she's mm. scorched her dress so they can't dance at the party and so they dance on the outside of the house and it's all very... It's kind of giggly fun and that's exactly what it should be. When you think of, like, period pieces, they are often quite serious and this kind of brings out the... This is maybe what it really was like you know, back in the day. So, uh, yeah, I really love this, actually. I really love this film. Well, let's have a listen then to our Teddy and our Oscar nominee. I believe we have some power over who we love. It isn't something that just happens to a person. I think the poets might disagree. Well, I'm not a poet. I'm just a woman. And as a woman, there's no way for me to make my own money. Not enough to earn a living or to support my family. And if I had my own money, which I don't, that money would belong to my husband the moment we got married. And if we had children, they would be his, not mine. They would be his property. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition because it is. It may not be for you, but it most certainly is for me. And do you know what? That's one of the most poignant parts of, of this particular movie is her explaining that and, and how they are literally destined by the people they marry, the men that they marry, and where Joe in particular is going so against the grain and doesn't think, you know, very much is so headstrong to saying that she doesn't think she will marry. I think this is like, you know, and it is that trial of tribute. I, I think in some respects this should be called like the Teddy movie because he goes in <laughs> loving Joe, rejected by Joe, finding Amy, but always wanting to be in with uh, the March sisters in some way, shape or form. It's oh, it's a lovely story. And do you know what? I think it's a, it's a really good retelling of it and done in a different way to the the Susan Sarandon mm. uh, Winona Ryder one. So uh, yeah, I really, uh, I think this is well worth your time. I'm glad it's on Netflix. I'm going to go and catch it again. Well, one that I'm, I'm, I'm always glad to see come to streaming because Disney Plus are adding a couple whoppers the same day, and you know me, I, mm. I love an explosion or two. I can't, I can't help myself. It's my basement. Just chuck me the popcorn, give me an explosion every now and again. So I don't <laughs> want to spend my Friday night. And uh, well, um, we've got a, a couple of all-time bangers, particularly from uh, the late '90s. We've got 1996's The Rock coming mm. to Disney Plus, alongside uh, 1997's Volcano. It was one of two volcanic movies to hit multiplexes in 1997. I believe there was uh, Volcano and Dante's Peak, I believe was it, or was it? Yes. Late 96, perhaps. 96, 97, on the cusp. Um, the Rock, though, that was uh, Michael Bay's second directorial effort. I still think he showed immense promise uh, you know, at the time, and I still think it's a tremendously fun, enjoyably shot movie. Um, the Rock, of course, follows uh, an FBI chemical weapons specialist named Stanley Goodspeed, who is the uh, <laughs> one of the only surviving members of a SEAL task, a SEAL team task force sent into Alcatraz to defuse a hostage situation involving eighty-one hostages, and I believe is it nine or 12 rockets containing vx gas that they intend to launch upon san francisco and their only guide is a crotchety former sas uh, agent slash spy played by sean Connery, who's been locked in a box for most of a century and happens to be the only guy who ever got out of alcatraz alive here's him talking to the bad guy played by ed harris so if you've never seen the rock this is exactly the kind of awesome we're talking about did they bother to tell you who i am why i'm doing this are they just using you like they do everybody else all i know is you were big in vietnam i saw the highlights from television and you wouldn't have any idea what it means to lead some of the finest men on god's earth into battle and then see their memory betrayed by their own government i don't quite see how you cherish the memory of the dead by killing another million and uh this is not combat it's an act of 
lunacy, General Shah. Personally, I think you're a f***ing idiot. Oh, Sean Connery. How amazing. Late gray, eh? Oh, it's such a good film. And it's just so timeless as well. I think you can just watch it again and again. And it just, yeah, it's brilliant. It is interesting. The Rock is one of the few movies that you can watch from the 1990s. Be like, yeah, well, you know, you could outdo all this with an iPhone now. The Rock, the movie still would be exactly the same if everyone had iPhones. And I kind of have to respect it for that. Um, in fact, another one quite similar to that, which did seem like it should be far-fetched by today's standard. But after the last few years of natural disasters and COVID and things, it now seems slightly more relevant and believable than ever. Volcano on uh, on Disney+. Plus, Because does anyone think like the reality would be any better managed than the version in the movie? <laughs> No, no, absolutely not. I get that, like, there's Volcano. There's, what's the Dustin Hoffman, like, um, monkey disease Outbreak. one? I love Outbreak. One. Yeah, it's like yep. the one-word disaster movies, isn't it? Volcano, Outbreak. <laughs> it's, it's Poseidon. That, kind of that was the, the remake of the Poseidon Adventure was just Poseidon. Yeah, exactly. It's just, yeah, and there's something great about all of these because they... You know, I think actually you're right with the pandemic and everything. You kind of go that maybe four or five years ago, we'd look at it and go, oh, that's such silly, weird fun. And now we kind of go, oh, actually, you know, nah, contagion, nah, this is exactly, contagion. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is what it is. But um, yeah, Volcano, a great movie. Um, you know, I think this is the thing, you know, you know how much we go on about the, the golden age for us of the 90s movies. It just kind of, it stands up for itself, doesn't it? It really does. It's one of those movies, well, because the whole cutting edge visual effect thing with the with the, with the two rival Volcano movies was who's going to do the cooler effects? And Volcano had seemingly the higher budget and it had the sort of Disney backing and things like that. And it had, you know, Tommy Lee Jones and Anne Heche were sort of more family-friendly stars, really, than Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton mm. at that point. But also the visual effects in, in Volcano, there was there was a lot of really cool blending of practical chemicals and and, and, and visual effects. Like they, they created phosphorescent liquids and things like that that they would use to double in for the for the magma and things like that. And they would supplement it with like CGI and things. And it looked, it was a really good blend. They essentially tried to do the Jurassic Park formula. And it works. It's a good, fun disaster movie. But also, it is mm. kind of ahead of its time in actually being head-on in facing uh, the uh, racial tensions of the region around that time because a lot of Hollywood yeah. movies did tend to ignore it at that point. Volcano charges head-on with, no, 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 come on, let's, 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 look, let's look at that word equality and what that occasionally means, shall we? And I, uh, I kind of loved it for that. It was... It was uh, it was a nice moment, I think, in Volcano. But of course, everyone remembers it for the sequence when the guy jumps out of the, the back of the subway car into the lava and flings the other dude, and, and then he, he full blown Terminator twos into the ground. And apparently, Jerry and Beth, yeah, all those things that obviously could so easily happen, right? Yeah, totally, totally yeah. happened in the real version. Yeah, totally. Anyway, so yeah. The Rock and Volcano join Little Women in coming to streaming. Little Women on Netflix, The Rock and Volcano over on Disney Plus, and they're all next Friday, the 26th. So that is seven days of pretty cool movies, I think. Right there. It is indeed. And also, to celebrate, I think there's a, a whole bunch of good movies to celebrate the 300th episode of Offscreen, so it's a pretty solid week for us. Um, Van, what have we got coming up next week? Do we have some major hitters? Next week, we've got a bit of a strange bag, actually. There is a new Disney movie out. There's Encanto that's out. There's House of Gucci coming out <gasps> with... 
uh, Gucci movies out next week. Um, there is the first wave new dog with documentary about first responders uh, to COVID. Um, there is uh, Pirates as well, which is the directorial debut of Reggie Yates. Would you oh. believe? So we've got all those to come next week. So we, we're going a bit all over the place with uh, with, with the subject matter next week. The father, the son, and the house of Gucci. That's what we've got coming up for you. That's we got that coming. We got that coming. <laughs> We got all that coming. Well, listen, that's that's going to be a rip-roaring week for us with some fantastic movies. Maybe this is the step for Gaga to become another Oscar winner. Um, who knows? We We're see. excited to see that. Yeah, we shall see. And we'll obviously keep you guys posted here on Offscreen. But for now, I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. <laughs>